Hello, my name is Vance Need, and welcome to another episode of The PS Plus, a Living Faith Bible Institute podcast that serves as a companion to another called The Postscript. Now, on that podcast, pastor and host Brandon Briscoe each week will speak with other pastors and professors from the Living Faith Bible Institute on a wide array of topics. Here on this podcast, the PS Plus, we'll take a look at some of those topics that are being discussed and we'll dive in just a bit deeper. In today's episode, we'll resume our series on the King James Bible and why we think that it is the standard for English-speaking people. So, let's do this thing. So, party people, it's been a while since we've been talking together, and by that I mean uh, by which I've been supervillain monologuing at you, and I realize that we may need to get caught up. And so I know that we do a lot of review on the show normally at the top of the show, but today is going to be nothing but review. And that's because as we're picking this series back up, I don't want us to lose some of those key concepts that we've been working to build. However, towards the end of today's episode, we'll explore a key statement from Pastor Alan Shelby, who is the professor of manuscript evidence here at the Living Faith Bible Institute. And what I found is that this statement is going to help focus our attention as we get into kind of the next phase of our exploration into the King James Bible. First up on our list of key concepts to review is that of preservation. And remember, preservation is the act of keeping something from corruption. Now, as it relates to this, we explored in the past two main views on preservation, one that we called a faith-based view and the opposite that we called a critical view. A faith-based view is the idea that Scripture is and always will be without error because of the supernatural act of God in preserving His own Word. And in this way, preservation is the responsibility of God alone. We found biblical evidences for this in Psalm 12, 6 and 7, Psalm 119, 89, Isaiah 48, and Matthew 24, 35, among others. This view also defines inspiration as 2 Peter 1, 21 does, where holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So the Holy Spirit is the author of Scripture, but he inspired man by moving upon them to speak. The other view that we could take a look at is the critical view. And a critical view of Scripture is the belief that the preservation of God's Word is not necessarily promised in Scripture. Rather, it is man's responsibility through various means to discover the original manuscript. And that original manuscript is important because in this view... Inspiration is not when holy men of God spoke, but when holy men of God wrote. Now, to help make sure that we understand this concept, we took a look at a lot of different statements of faith in previous episodes. I want to read kind of a kind of a common statement of faith that we would say espouses a critical view of the preservation of God's Word. We believe that the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments alone are the Word of God being fully written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and therefore are without error in the original manuscripts and have supreme authority in all matters of faith and conduct. Now, we also talked about the problems that we find when inspiration is limited to when pen hits paper, mainly the fact that 
it means that the original the original manuscripts that's what's inspired what we have today has to in that worldview get back to the original manuscripts to to even think that we have the authoritative words of scripture now some other key elements that we have been talking about are the reasons for different translations the reason that we have a proliferation of Bible translations. And there are a lot. We've explored just a few on this podcast. I want to take a couple moments just to review some of those. The first is translation philosophy or the methodology behind the translating of the Bible. And there are two in general that kind of exist on a spectrum, if you will. One called formal equivalence and the other called dynamic equivalence. Formal equivalence is also known as a word-for-word translation, and this method stresses the importance of the words and forms from the text of the source language. This means that a formal equivalence translation is trying to reproduce to the best of the translator's abilities the exact sentence structure, grammar, the forms of the original language, the source language, into the target language, the new language. The other translation philosophy we looked at was dynamic equivalence. Again, this is, this is a thought-for-thought thought translation. This method stresses the importance of the overall meaning from the text of the source language. So the forms, the grammar, the sentence structure is not as important as what is the point of what the authors are trying to say. The King James Bible translators created a formally equivalent translation, whereas translators for, let's say, the New Living Translation, for example, have created a dynamically equivalent translation. One of the things that we discuss regarding these two translation philosophies is that one hyper-focuses on the words with the assumption that words mean things, and what the author is trying to say can be ascertained by being faithful to the individual words that they used. In contrast to this, a dynamically equivalent translation focuses on the meaning which interjects the thoughts and ideas of the translator because they're not just trying to render one word from one language into another language, but now trying to render the thoughts and ideas in an intense, whereas the words, they are chosen to communicate those thoughts, those ideas, those intents. Another major reason that Bible translations differ is the motivations of those that translate the Bible. And we saw that there are several different motivations, but we explored a couple, and and we'll review those couple here today. The first is improving readability. This is a view that parts of the older translations, in this case the King James Version, will not be understood by today's reader. We also saw that translators can be motivated by wanting to replace archaic words, or phrases. These are words that are not in common usage today, words like chambering or wantonness or the phrase to wit. What we saw in a lot of these examples is that there is a high degree of subjectivity. For example, improving readability is not a black and white issue. Readability is going to differ and change depending on an individual's comfort with the text. The readability of any text will improve the more you interact with that text. I haven't read Shakespeare in a long time, 
but I bet if I read Hamlet like 50 times, I'd be pretty familiar with what goes down in Hamlet. In fact, Hamlet would become more readable the more I read it. As far as replacing archaic words or phrases, one of the things that we saw is that we don't do this in other parts of literature. I've used Lord of the Rings a lot as an example, and sadly, since we last met y'all, the journey is over. Middle Earth has been saved, yes, but our friends have departed. Only Samwise Gamgee is left. He's back, resting in his chair with his family, both celebrating his accomplishments and lamenting the friends that he lost along the way. And I love that book, y'all. But dang it, when it says cool words that are even outdated, uh, I actually don't want to change those. And actually, no one else wants to change them as well. We're cool with those words, and we do have means and methods by which we can look them up. I understand the desire to make things instantly understandable, but that is not a standard that we would hold really to any other piece of literature. We don't demand that from any other book. Yet another major reason that Bible translations differ is the manuscripts from which they are translated. Now, this isn't a topic that we've discussed much yet, but it is one that's going to permeate the next few episodes that we'll be taking a look at. So there's going to be more to say about this. And as we continue to explore this topic, I think it's really important for us not to forget the reason that we are discussing it. And to that end, here's a key thought that is going to guide us in future episodes. And it's from, again, Pastor Alan Shelby of Harvest Baptist Church also the professor of manuscript evidence here at LFBI. Now, I've heard him say this in a couple of different settings, and so here is almost a quote, maybe slightly a paraphrase. For 270 years, the King James Bible was the only available English translation. Therefore, the KJV is either God's words in English, or we've never had them and we never will. In other words, if the King James Version wasn't the Word of God in 1611, how could we have confidence in any other version? As always, thanks so much for joining me on this episode of the PS Plus. If this was, for, for some reason, maybe your first episode, welcome. And actually, it's actually kind of a good episode to join on. We got a quick review. But from here on out, we'll move forward and keep talking more about the King James Bible, and I'm excited to do it with you. This is also your notice that enrollment for the fall semester of the Living Faith Bible Institute is open. Classes are up. They are dope. You need to go to lfbi.org immediately. Make sure that you sign up. Make sure that you are prepared to serve the Lord wherever he might send you. I hope that today's episode was helpful, and I hope to talk to you next time. Take care.